as the worship team was leading and just had this sense that um, God is wanting us in this moment just to imagine. Right, that song I was talking about bowing down before the altar of God. I would like you just to imagine in your minds in this moment that Jesus is standing right in front of you. Right, we've had fires and we have COVID and we have unemployment. We have all these things swirling around in our minds. What is your posture before Jesus as he stands in front of you this morning? Do you find yourself falling on your face in worship of him? Or do you find yourself kind of leaning back a little bit? If you were to imagine your posture before Jesus this morning, what would it be? God, in this moment, we ask that you would soften our hearts. God, I confess this morning that coming back from a little time of vacation, coming back to the fires with COVID, I, I have felt like, God, when is the next plague going to hit? Because I am tired and I am done and I'm tired of going from crisis to crisis. And I felt a hardness in my own heart. God, I pray that you would soften my heart. I pray, God, that you would soften all of our hearts. God, that we would not be a people who lean back, weary and unsure, God, of whether you will be faithful. God, we sang already, right? Do it again. Prove yourself, prove your faithfulness to us, God, because we are a weary and distrusting people. God, as we come into your presence this morning, soften our hearts. God, woo us again because we are broken. God, reveal yourself to us that we may know you again and afresh this morning. May your spirit fall upon us. God, wherever we are, in the living room, in the bedroom, watching on a TV, a phone, or a computer, God, would you come show up by the power of your Holy Spirit. Come and show up that we may know that you are God. God, would you dethrone our fears, dethrone our anxiety. God, dethrone whatever treadmill we are on. God, that we may know you today. That you are the God of the impossible. You are the God who shows up. You are the God who wants to sit with us when we weep and we are beat up and we are broken. And we just need, God, you to be present. Come, Holy Spirit, this morning. Come, Lord Jesus. stir in our hearts, stir in our minds, stir in our families. Come, Holy Spirit, in the powerful and the beautiful name of Jesus, we pray this morning. To him be all the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Now, if we haven't met, my name is Tony. I am so glad to be here with you. I have the privilege of serving on staff here at Wellspring. Now, one of the awesome things about this morning is we are going to do a joint service with Christian Memorial Tabernacle. So they've been meeting in our church for about the last 18 months. They've been doing services in the afternoon. And then when COVID struck, 
right? They've been kind of having a hard time figuring out how to gather on Sunday mornings in this place. So we started gathering with their pastors and some of their elders and had this awesome time. And then they said, you know, why don't we do a joint service? And we're like, that is an awesome idea. So that's what we're doing this morning. Unfortunately, some of their uh, key worship folks actually got bronchitis uh, and were sick. So they were not able to join our Wellspring worship team this morning, maybe next time. Uh, But we have the pleasure of having Pastor Gaskins and Elder Sims from Christian Memorial Tabernacle. I'm going to do a short teaching, and then Pastor Gaskins will sort of dive in, add even more uh, to what I'm saying, just give awesome depth and insight and application. And then Elder Sims will pray us into our second worship set. Now, we're still going through 1 Corinthians. Um, I'd like to set the stage a bit. We're in chapter 10. Uh, And since chapter 8, Paul's been responding to questions that have come from the Corinthian church itself, and specifically about eating and idols. Now, for us, that's kind of like, wow, what is this? You know, we're not used to connecting eating and idols. But you see, in ancient Corinth, if you wanted to get some meat, right, you didn't go to Trader Joe's, you didn't go to Costco, right, you went down to the local temple, right? Grocery shopping and worship often went together. And the temples kind of functioned like the banquet halls of the ancient world, right? If you wanted to have a birthday party or a wedding, you'd often do it at the temple, right? That's where people gathered. They had a big spot where people could eat and be together and throw a party. Now, earlier in chapter 10, Paul has told the Corinthians, hey, you guys, you got to be really careful about attending these temple gatherings, But now he begins to address a few other questions. So let's say you go down to the market, you get some meat, and you bring it to your house. You're by yourself. You want to grill up some delicious meat. They're like, well, what about that? You know, can we do that? Or or what if if our neighbor gets some food and we're invited over our neighbor's house? Uh, Can we eat it there? What do you think, Paul? Now, Paul gives some super specific answers to these questions. The thing is, there's all these divisions happening in Corinth. You have on one side, you have this group of people that are like, we want to eat meat, you know, all about our freedom. We're free to eat. And then you have this other side saying, no, 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 you guys shouldn't, right? And these divisions are happening and Paul speaks into it. Paul has two major things to say in this text. Uh, Big picture, his major points are, one, all of our actions, right, should glorify God by seeking the benefit of others rather than ourselves, right? Big picture when it comes to eating and idolatry, right? Hey, guys, let's make sure all of our actions glorify God by loving our neighbor. And second, he says, okay, let's assume those are the case. God is glorified. Our neighbor is loved. Hey, guys, you're free to do what you want with thankfulness. Now, he illustrates this through two specific examples. One, eating meat at home on your own. And then two, if you're invited over to a friend's house. Now, big big picture, right? Paul begins in verses 23 and 24. He says this, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, right? But the good of his neighbor, right? That's verses 23 and 24. Now, if you recall, all things are lawful is kind of like a Corinthian slogan, Basically, I'm free to do whatever I want, right? In chapter 6, that was applied to, I'm free to do whatever I want. I'm going to go visit prostitutes, right? And Paul's like, hey, guys, that is not the application of that. And now they're applying it to food. I'm free. I can do whatever I want. I can eat food wherever I go. And Paul's like, eh, 
guys, be careful. In chapter 8, he kind of teases this out. Now, for us, that might seem kind of trivial, like, who cares if you eat meat? But I think if we enter into the mindset and the perspective, the everyday life of an average Corinthian, we might start to see why this might make a difference. So in chapter 8, Paul says that people are actually losing their faith over meat eating and idols and temples. Now to appreciate this, right, let's go back to the first century and sort of enter into their mindset, right? So for your whole life, let's say you and your family, whenever someone got sick, right, you went to the temple of Asclepius, right, the god of medicine, you went there and you, you lit a candle or whatever in order to pray for that relative. You watched your grandparents do it, you watched your parents do it, right? And then you meet this guy named Paul and you encounter the person of Jesus and you realize, oh, there's only one God. Right? You start worshiping Jesus. You're no longer going to these temples. You're no longer praying to these other gods. But then there's someone in the church who's like, hey, I'm going to go to this party at the temple of Asclepius. Come on, let's go. It's an awesome, it's going to be a super good feast. You'll make some business connections. Come on. And you're like, no, 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 no. I can't go. But then, you know, they pressure and they pressure, so you go. Right? And during the middle of the party, right, you start to smell some of those familiar smells. You start to have these similar experiences. You remember all the times you worshipped there. So in the middle of the party, maybe you sneak out and you, you pray to that God for a minute. Right? And then you kind of get into the feel of it. So then you think, well, I also want love in my life, so I'm going to pray to the God of Aphrodite. Right? And I want my business to succeed, so now I'm going to go to the place where Hermes, you know, where people pray to the god Hermes, right? Because I want my business to succeed. And then all of a sudden, within a few weeks or months, this person is no longer attending church. Now they're attending all these other little spaces, worshiping all these other Greek gods for every other niche and nuance of their life. And Paul sees this happening, and he's like, hey guys, it's not just about your freedom. Look at that, how your freedom is now impacting people in your church, your brothers and your sisters. I was trying to think of like a modern example where we might sort of get this. I was trying to think, you know, throughout uh, my life, but specifically in my 20s, I had a number of friends that were discovered, ah, I think I'm an alcoholic. And I remember there were so many times where like I would base my decisions on whether or not there was going to be alcohol at an event or whether I would have a glass of wine or not, right? Because if my friend was there, I didn't want to lead them down this slippery slope, right? For them, right, that could be tempting, especially when they were first getting sober. So I was trying to be mindful, right, of whether or not you would go to a certain gathering. If you knew there was going to be alcohol, you'd be like, ah, I don't want to go there because I don't want to lead my friend down a, a path that could be destructive for them. I want to be considerate. And I think this is kind of the balance Paul is getting at, right? If you're alone and you want to eat some meat and bring it back to your house and grill it up and enjoy it, Paul's like, awesome, do it. Verse 25, eat whatever is sold in the meat, in the meat market without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, right? There's freedom, right? God is the one who made the cow. God is the one who made the chicken, right? Enjoy it. Right? If you're by yourself, no big deal. What if you're invited to someone else's house? Paul offers two possibilities. Right? If, verse 27, if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you're disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question 
on the ground of conscience. Right? So if someone outside the church invites you over to their house and they don't have a problem with you eating the meal and you don't either, like, don't worry about it. Right? Just eat the food. You don't need to stress about every single thing on the table. Like, could you imagine you're going to a friend's house and then you're like asking, what, what about the peas? Where did you get the peas? Oh, and the chicken. Where did you get the chicken? Okay, what about the pita? Where did you get it? Was there any sacrifice involved? Like, you'd kind of be interrogating. And the truth is, actually, a lot of Jewish folks at that time kind of had to do this. That was part of the expectation within Judaism, is that you would examine what you were eating. And Paul's sort of erring on the side of freedom here. But he knows there's another possible outcome at the dinner, too. Verse 28, right? But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. Now, there's a couple ways to interpret this. One, maybe you're invited to this friend's house and someone from the church happens to be there. Now, if you willingly eat this food that now everyone knows has been sacrificed to an aisle, idol, maybe you lead this friend, right, down a road back to idol worship, right? This is the classic slippery slope argument, right? It might be worth just not eating for your brother's sake, right? In the same way, like, if I was going to a dinner party or just hanging out with friends, and I had a friend who I knew was a recent alcoholic, and there was, out, there was wine at the table, and they offered me wine, I might say, no, thank you. Like, I'm okay. I'm just trying to be considerate of how that might affect my brother or sister, but it also could be referring to the host's conscience. Right? Maybe the host is curious about Jesus. And the host says, oh, this has been sacrificed to the idol, then sees you eating the food and now thinks, oh, it doesn't matter whether I've worshipped any other gods. And Paul's thinking, well, maybe that's not really helpful either. In verse 33, Paul will say, like, he's very concerned about his actions, clearly communicating the gospel so that people are saved, right? They come to know Jesus and live within the kingdom, right? Because our actions communicate as much as our words about what it, like, what it is like to live within the kingdom of God, right? And then Paul summarizes in verses 31 through 33, right? Hey, guys, our lives, it's not just about eating and drinking, but it's about our lives should glorify God, is what he writes. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Right? Paul's primary concern for the church and for himself right, is that God is glorified. Right? And this happens best, it seems to Paul, by focusing uh, on loving our neighbor not on our own freedom. Right? In Corinth, like they're, they're sort of so predisposed to, hey, I can do whatever I want. It's all about me rocking me. And Paul's like, come on, guys. It's about what builds up, what glorifies God. And the truth is, right, Paul lived with them for 18 months. They watched him navigate this balance between freedom right, and glorifying God, loving one's neighbor. So Paul ends with this exhortation in 11.1, says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Right? Paul learned from Jesus, and what did Jesus do? He served others. He died for others, that they might know the Father. 
right? And Paul takes Jesus as his cue. While the Corinthians are so concerned about their freedom, they're so concerned about whether they get to do what they want, whether they get denied anything, Paul's like, hey, it's not about you. It's actually about God being lifted up and glorified. And that happens best when we love our neighbor. Right, so how does this then relate to us? How do we take this, you know, mail, this letter sent in the mail 2,000 years ago and now trying to apply it into our modern lives? Well, I think while we might not relate to divisions, the specifics of sort of the nuance of the divisions in Corinth, I think they certainly can relate to their focus on freedom, right? As Americans, we're very focused on freedom. Like, we want to defend our rights. We want to be free. It's a high, high value of ours. We also value authentic expression. Like, I want to be me. You know, you do you. It's like a major mantra of our moment. Like, this is who I am. We don't like being limited by others. I think this begs the question, when we look at our lives, do our lives actually become a lens through which people can see God? I think sometimes we read verse uh, 33, You know, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Or verse 31, sorry. And we think, you know, well, I had great pizza at Pizza My Heart the other day, and I just like glorified God for it. Like, God, you are amazing. You know, this pizza is incredible. And surely this applies, right? Like, we are free to enjoy things, and then we should return and thank God for it. But if we look at the context of chapter 10, what we see is that when we, glor- we glorify God, when out of love for Him, right, we lay down our rights and our freedoms, whether it's eating or drinking, and then Paul says, or whatever, right, in order to do what is most loving towards others, that we actually reveal the kingdom as we lay down our lives to love other people. Right? And Paul follows this line about glorifying God with the example of Jesus, And what did Jesus do? He laid down his life to love and serve, to give himself on our behalf. So as I sort of just think about this passage, I would just, I guess I would ask you, like, when you look at your life, do you feel like the way you love people reveals who God is and therefore brings him glory? Or are you just doing your own thing, following your own path rather than the way of Jesus? You know, maybe just practically, like when you look at the last week, can you think of a time, a specific example in your day when you lay down your own preferences, when you lay down your own agenda in order to love someone else and therefore modeled God's love on earth, therefore bringing Him glory? Can you think of a time this last week when you did that? If I'm honest, I was just coming back from vacation and the fires were going, you know, and COVID is out there. And I feel like this last week, as I was convicted of my own question earlier this morning, of just like, you know, I don't feel like I did this last week. I feel like this last week I was very focused on my own struggles in navigating the fires and COVID and just frustrated and got very focused on my own experience. The truth is, I think God has a lot of work to do in me that I could get over my own self in order to love other people well. 
And the truth is, I think in COVID, with the fires, there is this tendency to just start focusing on ourselves. And that's fine. Like, we do need to survive. But I do think there is this push towards, ah, how do I care for myself? And it's easy. It is easy to lose track of whether or not our lives are actually bringing glory to God. We become so focused on survival. We become so focused on our own safety. We become so focused on our own experience that we lose track of what does it look like to love our neighbor that God might be glorified. I want to invite uh, Pastor Gaskins up to share a little bit more about verse 31. What does it look like for our lives to glorify God? Pastor Gaskins is the pastor at Christian Memorial Tabernacle. He is, I think, the longest-running pastor on the Monterey Peninsula, so he has tons of wisdom to offer us. He's going to come up, uh, and then Elder Sims will pray us into the next set of worship. Pastor Gaskins, why don't you come up here, and uh, I'll get your little... Stand ready. There you go. Thanks, man. Excited to hear from you. God bless you. And we give honor to God today and to those of who are here, and especially to a pastor of this church. It's good to be here. And we thank God, amen, for being here. I want to piggyback just a little bit off of the pastor shared with us today when he said that everything we do, we do it for the glory of God. Lord, we thank you now. We praise you now for your goodness and your kindness. We pray that you would give us a wholesome word that we may share, and we shall ever give you praise. Amen. God is good, and he is good all the time. I'll be speaking to you today from a little bit from the book of, of, of uh, 1 Corinthians and from also from all the way to Revelation, from Corinthians to Revelation that we'll be speaking from. Our key toward um, subject for today is all for the glory of God. I'm here to tell you that for the glory of God, I keep turning around, I forgot I got to look at you out there. For, the, for his glory and for what he has done for me throughout my short life that I've been living on this earth, where he carried me from, what he did, and how he did it. I lesson as Paul had some problems with the church at Corinth. He had to wrote this letter to Corinth to get some things straightened out with them there. And then we move to the book of Revelation. And Revelation talks about a number that no one, no one would least have the idea of that. I want to share a little bit of that with you as well. And with this church where the Lord has Bless us to be able to come here, amen, and to fellowship with this church. I am 83 years old, going on 16. 83 going on 16. I thank God for the fact that I didn't 
come up in life, maybe as some of you did, because at the age of 15 was when I left home, left the South at the age of 15. I said to my mom, I didn't know my dad, because my dad got drowned when I was two years old. So I didn't know him. I was raised by a mother without a father. Fifteen years, or 14 years later, when I reached 15 was when I joined the United States Army. Travel all over the world. Now, I know you're probably thinking, you out there that's listening, what does that have to do with today? Well, it has a lot to do with today because had not I treated myself like I should for the glory of God. So God can get the glory. So I get no glory, but God get the glory. I wouldn't have been able to bar things when I went to Korea. I could have gotten into a whole bunch of situations there. I could have got drugs and what have you there. But for the glory of God that I took around with me, I escaped those things that uh, I could have gotten involved with in Korea. Not only did God take me there for a while, but then he took me. I used to jump out of airplanes. I was a paratrooper. I jumped out of airplanes. And now I'm afraid to even get in the airplane, let alone jump out of the airplane. Then he took me from, uh, from there to many other things in the military that I could have gotten killed. I could have gotten killed in Vietnam. I spent two years in Vietnam. One year and then a break between that and another year in Vietnam. I could have lost my life. But the God that we serve, the God that looks over us, the God that tests tells us what we need to do, where we need to go, and what we need to say. That same God brought me back, amen, safe from Vietnam uh, twice. Brought me on Fort Ord. And I know you're saying, well, why? I mean, maybe you're going in this direction. But it may be somebody out there that's listening in need to know that God is good. There's somebody out there just maybe need to know and understand that from a single parent home, from a home not only saying a parent, but from a black person saying a home, you still can be raised and brought up in the right way. And I thank my mom uh, every day for what she have done and how she have done it for me. Being 83 years old, I'm still able to walk around, probably can run faster than maybe some of you that's listening to me today. But I'm here to tell you, you need Jesus, you need to turn your life over to Jesus so he can get the glory. He doesn't get the glory out of situations and out of things and places that you should not be. But not only that, after God, amen, blessed me to go over there and come back twice. Brought me back to Seaside, California. Been here now after retiring from 1978 up until now. Then I asked the Lord, what shall I do? How or what, where should I go at Fort Ord? He gave me to fall in love with the homeless. Homeless persons have been my life. That has been all that I have really done 
since I've been out of the service except lead people to Christ. And I said, Lord, I thank you for that. I worked with the homeless for those times we fed, we got up at night, we did all kinds of things and still worked for the homeless. I want to just kind of pause here for just a little while and thank the pastor of this church because this is where we end up at when we had got almost to the end of our journey. When we spent 21 years in Fort Ord, California, working with the homeless, and when the government says, you got to go, we got to use this place to build houses. That's been two years ago. They still haven't built the house, but we got out. We didn't know where we were going. I didn't put this burden on the folks in the church. I said, this is my burden. This is something that I have got to deal with. And it may come a time in your life where things that you got to deal with. There may be times and things that you wonder, God, why are you putting this upon me? God knows what is best for you. He knows what to do, and he knows exactly when to do it. So I said, Lord, what am I going to do? I kept asking the question, is it time for me to retire? I can retire. I'm old enough to retire. I should be retired. I said, is it time for me to hang the gloves up and get out? The Lord spoke to my spirit and said, it's not time for you to go yet. He says, I got some more work for you to do. I said, well, it doesn't look like you've got too much for me to do. You didn't kick me out of Fort Ord. Where am I going? Where am I going to take the church? Got a phone call. Phone call from a pastor right here in Pacific Grove, up the street here. He invited us to come in. And we went in, but it did not work out there. I said, Lord, I'm still in a bind here with a notice saying, get out of this place. No mercy. With all the work that we have done, I says, okay. Two days later, somewhere there, I got a call from this church, from this Pastor Tony. And I came out and he treated me so nice. You see, God, when you do right by God, goodness follows you. It depends on the group that you are running with, whether God is going to get the glory. And everything you do, everything, you ought to do it for the glory of God. Why? God wants the glory. Why does God want the glory? It's because he's God. And so I came. And I met the pastor right here, and I shared with him what my situation was. He took me around and was showing me around, and he was saying, this is this, and this is this. And I'm saying to myself, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to deal with this. We don't have no $5,000 to pay somebody to stay. What are we going to do? But making that long story short, this pastor here, this pastor here, this congregation here invited us in. I want you to know that a part of this message this morning was from Corinthians, and the second part was in Revelation. And the Revelation was there. John put the Revelation, put, I mean, went there during this time, and God spoke to him and showed him some things, showed him some people. How many were dressed in white and so forth. 
and what God is saying to this church. You that, wherever you are, if you're close here or where you are, you need to run here. Because God is getting ready to do great things for this church. There's going to be a number that's coming that nobody can uh, realize of what is going on. They're going to come from the east. They're going to come from the west. They're going to come from south and north. They're going to be all different colors that's going to be in this church. You come here in six months from now, and I know you're saying, well, why you say six months? It's because of the fact with this virus that's going around. Is it going to be six months? But I'm going to prophesy here. In six months, you start watching God do things. You're not going to have room and order to put the people. And I heard the pastor over here, this church said that he was going to go to two service, three service or whatever the Lord said. But he's going to have to probably go for more than that. We may end up building a balcony in here to put the people. It's because this is the time. This is your season. God sent Pastor Tony here for this purpose. Every church on this peninsula is not doing this. And I believe that that virus is going around, that God is saying that we need to come together. That is one Lord, that is one faith, and that is one baptism. So I hope and pray that you will take note of what was said in here today. Because if you've got any questions, all you have to do is notify this church, and they will take it uh, from there. God bless you. God smile upon you, and be God be gracious unto you. And I'm going to keep running until the end come. I close with this. God works in mysterious ways. God works in, in different ways. And I'm getting ready to introduce a brother. It's going to come up and say the prayer. But God does things that you don't even realize he's doing. Just about four months ago, God took away, took my wife from me. And I know it hurt so bad, but I don't believe that she could handle it, the situation, the thing that's going on now. So God bless you. At this time, uh, it seems like I always call on this young man to do the prayer because he is a prayer warrior. God gives us different gifts to do different things. And God has gifted him to pray. So we're going to ask Elder Sims, will he come now? Before I pray, we're going to go to the Word of God, the 34th Division of Psalms. It says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make a boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. O oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. Most holy and most precious God, we thank you this morning for how you have blessed us with your word. Lord, I ask you in the name of Jesus, bless us and keep us, Lord, in the sin of thy will. Lord, we thank for all these, your people, that pressed their way out to the house of prayer on today. Lord, I ask you in the name of Jesus, bless them in a special way, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Lord, you've been good to us all the week long. You stayed the hand of death. 
Thank you for it right now. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Lord, you woke us up in our right mind. Thank you for it now. Lord, with everything that's going on in the world, Lord, you are yet in control. Lord, I ask you in the name of Jesus to bind that COVID everywhere, all around the world. Bind it now, Lord, in the name of you. Let your people know that you are yet in control in the name of Jesus. Lord, continue to bless this pastor, Pastor Tony of this church. Continue to lead him and continue to guide him, Lord. We thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to join with them today, Lord. Lord, all his members, Lord, wherever they may be right now, in their homes or wherever they may be, bless them, Lord. Keep them, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Lord, bless us and take us to a higher height and a deeper depth. Those that are sick and on the deathbed, Lord, touch them right now. Go in the hospital room, touch and deliver, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Bind the adversary today. Bind them on every hand and everywhere. And let people know that you are yet in control. And Lord, you do these things. We'll thank you for it. And we'll tell the world you did it. Thank God. Amen and amen.